an exact date on which the third siege begins, and that's coming up in chapter 24, and we'll be there in about two weeks. Uh, so that's a little bit of a preview for us. And then the final fall of Jerusalem occurs in the 12th month of the, or the 10th month of the 12th year. So that's when Jerusalem falls. So this gives us a little bit more of a relative, you know, how far away we are from certain things happening. And you see that that third siege lasted a long time. Uh, and that goes into what we've talked about previously about how bad it's going to be in the city of Jerusalem during this three-year siege uh, that ended in the 12th year after Jehoiachin's exile. So we're looking again at our, our main outline. We're in this oracles of judgment, and this is oracles of judgment against Jerusalem, which goes from chapters 21, or sorry, 12, <laughs> through chapter 23. And we're in 22 now. We're going to do I'm hoping to do both chapters 23 and 24 next week, uh, and then we'll move into a, another another focus, uh, uh, because so far in, in the book of Ezekiel that we've studied, the focus has been on Jerusalem, and rightfully so, uh, because that is kind of where we're at. That's the significant thing happening, and God's focus is there. But that doesn't mean that he's lost sight of what's happening in the world around him, in the, in the pagan culture surrounding Jerusalem. He's, he's punishing Jerusalem here because they have adopted pagan ideas. Uh, they've taken pagan idols. They worship at uh, the Asherah poles. They've, they've uh, assimilated into the, uh, the thoughts and beliefs of the people around them. And so he's going to punish Jerusalem for that. Now, once that's done, his attention is going to be turned elsewhere, and the, and the pagan nations around are going to be punished as well. And there's oracles against those nations starting in chapter 25. And like I say, we'll be there in a couple weeks. So that's kind of where we're going short term. Uh, but this week, we're going to be talking about uh, this judgment against Jerusalem. Now, we've gone over and over the sins of Jerusalem, and chapter 22 is once again kind of a recitation of some of the things that Jerusalem is doing that makes her deserving of this punishment. So we'll go into there. Uh, you know, repeatedly in, in, in our study, we've, we've seen these sins listed and, and identified and I'm going to just kind of do it again as we go through this book and, and identify those sins that, that God has identified. So in, in Ezekiel uh, 22, starting in verse 1, the word of the Lord came to me saying, and you, son of man, will you judge? Will you judge the bloody city and then cause her to know all of her abominations? Will you bring to mind the things that this, and it's referred to here as a bloody city, and that's why I've titled this, this message, Bloody Jerusalem, and we'll talk about that and what that really means. You know, the Hebrew word for blood is the literal word for, for blood in this case, um, but 
it doesn't mean necessarily that every action that God is judging Jerusalem for involved the shedding of, of blood. Uh, although there are certain things that they did that did draw blood. Child sacrifice had been incorporated into their worship at this time, and that certainly is a is a blood a bloody exercise. Uh, the word blood in, in Hebrew also can be used euphemistically to mean acting in a violent or vile way or to oppress the truth uh, and, and harm the well-being of others, even though blood may not be drawn. And this, this was kind of Israel's pattern in the centuries leading up to where we're at in this generation. You know, the people shed blood in the midst of the city and made idols in the city against their own interests. They knew that God's command told them not to worship idols, but they did it anyhow, in, in, in a sense bringing violence against God in, in this act of worshiping other, other idols. Uh, you know, these, these acts and the, this continual behavior on the part of Jerusalem uh, brought this day of judgment nearer and nearer. Uh, but it also applies to his discipline for the believer. You know, with each decision to sin that we make, uh, we kind of pull God's attention towards us. And, and the, the punishment that is due for the sins that we have, if we continually live in sin and, and act in a sinful manner, that's going to be directing that punishment towards ourselves as it is uh, here in Jerusalem. So, you know, the Lord, uh, you know, Israel kept drawing this attention to herself as she continually, generation after generation, evil king after evil king, kept drawing that attention of God and that punishment focus on Jerusalem that continually happened. So, Uh, in chapter 20, again, in this chapter, uh, focuses on the culpability of the leadership. So leadership is important uh, because as leadership goes, so goes the, the followers. You know, if, if, if we as, as elders of the church or pastors here, you know, if we lead in a, in a bad direction, that's going to impact the way that, that you all behave. Uh, and we will be held accountable for that. And Ezekiel 22 kind of focuses on the leadership a little bit to bring into, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm using that word too many times, to bring into focus uh, that punishment that's due them for the, for the deficiencies that they had in leading. So where is this blood guilt uh, of the present generation of Israel? Let's continue on. In Ezekiel 2 verses, or 22, verses 4 and 5, you have become guilty by the blood which you have shed, defiled by your idols which you have made. Thus you have brought the day near and have come to your years. Therefore I have made you a reproach to the nation and a mocking to all the lands. Those who are near and those who are far from you will mock you. 
of mock you, you of ill repute, full of turmoil. So the Lord repeatedly describes various abominations uh, that that the nation of Israel uh, committed as bloody. Uh, so I guess I've gone over that somewhat. Uh, it says they would become a mocking uh, and a reproach to neighbors here in verse in, in these verses, uh, and say that they would become a mockery to the nations and and uh, a reproach to the nations around them. The people, the Gentiles in this land that lived around them, the the pagan nations didn't like them. Uh, they were always kind of an enemy uh, to the people around them because of this relationship that they had with their God. Uh, Their God, Jehovah God, was not recognized as God by the nations around them. So so their singular focus on this as a nation uh, gave them, you know, kind of put them, they put themselves up on a pedestal. You know, we have uh, the law. The law was given to us. Uh, and we are God's people. We are his chosen nation. And they held themselves up to the nations around them as this this blessed nation because of their relationship with God. This is our God. He gave us these laws. He set us up as a nation. He calls us his favorite nation. We are in his hands. We have his protection. We don't need to fear you nations around us because we are gods and he will protect us. So they've always kind of held the nation of Israel, always kind of held themselves up. And to see them knocked down by the very God that they claim is going to protect them is making is causing the nations around them to kind of look at them and say, you know, where's this God that's protecting you? Now he's punishing you. He's, he's, he's going to be doing things to you that you know, where's the protection? We don't see it. It's a mockery, making a mockery of their own pride. Uh, so, you know, they'll look at Israel and laugh because, you know, here they thought they were better than everybody else and under God's protection and look at what God's doing them. So, you know, when we when we look at that, you know, here as as God's people, you know, we need to be reminded sometimes of what happens uh, when we enter into that relationship with the living God. You know, our future hope is better than that of the hope of the world. You know, because we've got this relationship with God, we have uh, we've been rescued, if you will, from the fate that all mankind is 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 going towards. And we've studied the Book of Revelation just completed it a few weeks ago and that tells us what mankind's fate is you know the wages of sin are death and that death is coming Uh, but God has provided us a way and that puts us in a special relationship but we can't let that relationship with God fill us with pride uh, because we are still making mistakes I am still making mistakes in my life, I'm not completely obedient to what God wants me to be. So all of this, 
you know, just because I stand up here doesn't make me any better than anybody else or, or wiser than anybody else. I'm, I'm studying and learning the same as, as everybody, all of us should be. Um, and if, if I allow that to get in the way, if I allow that to, to build up my own pride and self-worth, then when God corrects me for those mistakes that I make, then I become uh, that mocking mockery of, of what God intended us to be as Christians. We're, we're called, you know, we're saved to live a good life, to live a life of obedience. It's not that obedience which saves us. We're saved because of our belief in Jesus Christ. But we are called to good works. Uh, and if I fail in that calling, in that direction that God has given to me, then when God corrects me, people say, where's your God now? You know, you've, you've fallen on these hard times because of the things that I did. And, and I deserve God's punishment and correction. We're going to get a little bit more into this a little bit later. You know, we, we have faith in Jesus Christ and we are saved from the fate of all mankind. But we still need to be obedient. And if, if, if God calls us to be an example of, of the punishment that he's going to give to the disobedient, you know, while we may be victorious in the end, uh, in the short term, we could be uh, given an example to those around us for disobedience. So continuing on, uh, in verse 6, the, the Lord in his revelation to Ezekiel here turns to the, the leaders of, of Jerusalem and, and he starts a recitation here of all of the things, not all of them, but uh, some of the things that Israel has done in disobedience to God. And he says each of these leaders in the, in the leadership have contributed to the bloodshed and violence uh, according to the power that they had as leaders. Uh, you know, individuals, the individual leaders did evil uh, in their, because of their own power and the power that they had. They used their influence for evil. Uh, judges and priests presided over evil in their own jurisdictions. You know, if you're given a position of power, uh, leadership, of, of authority and government, you cannot use that, that power for evil. You are, you know, the institutions in, of this world are set up by God. Government is a, is a creation of God and and. He intends the people in, in power. And we need to pray for the people that are in power in our country to use that power for right, to do the right thing. Uh, that's important for you know the President of the United States, our senators, our representatives, our governor, uh, the, the, the leaders of, of state organizations and groups, and even in the church that we have, the people in leadership need to use that authority and power that they have to do the right thing and to do good. And if you don't, God's watching. <laughs> he is keeping track. Uh, he does know the things that we have done. And, and here he's, he's telling some of these people uh, what they have done. 
So the judgments against Jerusalem are listed here in this passage uh, in verse 6 and in verse 7. He lists specific things. And the first thing that he lists is, get the right button, disrespect for parents. Now this is interesting to me because I've always kind of found it interesting that this, this thing uh, is listed prominently in a whole lot of places, not just in this list. Uh, and, and here in his recitation, it's listed first, uh, which seems a little odd, you know, disrespect for parents. And we've got a few kids in here, not that they're paying attention to me, uh, but disrespect for parents is important. And it's important for a couple of reasons, and I'm going to get into it. But even in the New Testament, this, this idea of respect for parents and obedience to parents uh, is repeated again and again in a lot of places in the New Testament. When we have lists of sins and ills, uh, it is listed. If we look at Second Timothy 3, starting in verse 1, and here's going to be a list of sins. But realize this, that in the last days, it says, chapter 3, verse 1, 2 Timothy, for men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, and so on and so on. So disobedience to parents is important because, well, let me put it this way. When, when kids are brought up in a culture where, where parental authority doesn't exist, uh, it, it kind of plants a seed for, for their attitudes as adults as they grow and mature. If we don't teach our children, if we don't instill in them uh, a respect for authority within the family as God has structured it with, with the parents as, as leaders in the family and, and the authority in the family. When, when a child grows up with this lack of respect for authority within the family, it kind of takes the brakes off of restraint. Uh, I mean, we've all seen kids with no boundaries. <laughs> uh, you know, kids who have, have, you know, I, I spend way too much time reading little snippets on the internet, and I shouldn't do that. But, you know, so often you hear about restaurant, in restaurants, kids in restaurants that don't know limits, that don't know restraint, that don't know how to control themselves and, and go wild in restaurants and the parents sit there and do nothing. They don't take authority. They don't make authority important in a child's life. And that child is going to grow up not respecting authority for the parents. And that leads to not respecting authority in, the, in society. And that leads to not respecting the authority of God. If we want our kids to know, if we want them to know and understand the authority that God has over us as our Heavenly Father, we need to exercise and, and exhibit and teach authority within the family of our earthly fathers. There is a connection between disobedience to God 
and disobedience to parents. And I think that's why that item is is a is a significant um, a, a significant sin that God pays attention to. Second in in this list is oppression of the weak. You know, uh, dis, disobedience to parents, the 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 lack of obedience or respect for authority and those around us um, can cause us to have an attitude that it's not important what I do to those around us. Uh, in our passage, nope, wrong place. You know, in our, in our passage, it says, you know, in the same paragraph in verse 7, they have treated the father and mother, the, treated father and mother lightly within you, within Israel. The alien they have oppressed in your midst, those without governmental protections, the fatherless and the widow they have wronged in you. There's a connection between parental obedience and and disrespect for those weaker among you. I mean, we, we live in a society that decries bullies everywhere, <laughs> but doesn't seem to know how to handle them. And how to handle them is to teach respect within the home. And if you have respect for those around you in the home, you're going to have respect for those around you in society. Sorry, I'm on a soapbox up here. Uh, continuing on in Ezekiel. Um, you know, when a culture becomes engaged in fighting against the powers that be within in the society, it loses interest in the weak. So the fatherless, the widow, uh, will be overlooked and abandoned. Uh, when when society only desires power and re- and rebellion for itself, it loses all respect for those who offer neither. You know, here third. The Lord says that Israel despised the holy things of God, including the Sabbath. And again, what I'm saying is disrespect for the family kind of leads to disrespect for the church and God. So, uh, you know, for a heart that determines, that's determined to fight back against authority, the authority of God is the ultimate power that they're fighting against. You know, Israel was a culture uh, that was set up and established with a lot of symbols and rituals uh, for God. You know, the book of Deuteronomy and Leviticus uh, talk about all of these symbols and, and, and rituals that they needed to practice. Each, each week, a day was set aside uh, for all work to cease and, and to focus on, on getting your heart determined to follow God. And if, if you were a Jew uh, whose heart was set against resisting authority, uh, you're not going to do those things that God wants you to do. Uh, you're going to profane the Lord's rituals. You're going to disobey the, the laws that, that were given. You're going to uh, eat things that you're not supposed to eat. You're going to do activities that you shouldn't do. And all of these rules were given to Israel for her benefit. You know, if you... I'm getting off on my notes here a little bit, but if you if 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 you live your life in the way that God established 
you to live, you're going to be blessed by that. Uh, we look at the example of Daniel, for instance. Uh, he was offered choice meats and, and things for, for him and his friends to eat. Uh, but because he was obedient to God's commands, he says, I shouldn't eat these things. This is what I should eat. And because he ate those things, and or ate the things that he was supposed to eat instead of the the whatever it was that he was offered that was outside of, of God's rules for them, because he stayed within God's plan for his life and lived his life in a manner obedient to those things, he was blessed and ended up being blessed by the governmental authorities where he was. So Daniel is a good example for this. Um, So disobedience to parents leads to disobedience against the law. And as adults against authority uh, in government and everything else. Uh, and that ultimate authority, again, was God himself. Uh, it's an interesting quote. Once the heart is freed from the constraints of law and God's authority, there is nothing to restrain its depravity. So there's no limit as to how bad people can get if they don't respect any law greater than themselves. And that's what Jerusalem uh, was committing here. So continuing down our list, uh, so they were despising the things, uh, the holy things of the Sabbath and, and what God was teaching them to do. Uh, So the next offenses uh, in our list here is in verse 9, slandering, murder, engaging in idol worship, uh, and sexual depravity. And we look in the New Testament and there's, there's you know, the slippery slope that they were on and, and going through this disobedience. Uh, is reflected again in, in some of the words uh, in the New Testament as well. In Romans uh, chapter 1, verses 20 through 24, it says this, uh, 21 through 24, For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks. But they became futile in their, spe in their speculations and their foolish hearts was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Idol worship. And verse 24 is telling, Therefore God gave them over in the lusts of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. Sometimes God lets us have what we want in order that we might see the error and, and come to full fruition of, of those sins that, that led us to this point. God allowed the people of Jerusalem. He didn't corral them, but he let them. They continually diso disobeyed over generations and generations until they got to this point. And God let them have what they wanted. 
You know, God sometimes punishes us by allowing those things that we seek to control us and become punishment in itself to us. If if you you seek thievery and and ill-gotten gains, you will if God lets you over to that, those those things that you seek will become your own punishment. Sexual depravity the same way. You'll sink so far that what you were seeking becomes its own punishment. And that's where God is letting Israel uh, get to a point uh, of... So continuing on, you know, the, the culture saw men taking bribes as, as contra- contracts to do e- evil uh, and commit murder. And then they also uh, committed usury, which was a specific, you know, charging interest for loans amongst their own, uh, was strictly prohibited by God. But, you know, taking advantage of your fellow man for your own financial gain, uh, that wasn't something that God smiled on. Uh, it was the, the law set limits and, and laid out very clearly what they were supposed to do. So... You know, this this is kind of a long list. Uh, you know, finally, the last you know the last one is dishonest financial gain. Again, this is cheating others for your own financial gain. And the leaders, keep in mind, we're addressing the leaders of Israel here in this, not just the people, uh, or not the people. You know, this is a, an indictment of the leadership. So they were using their positions of power for financial gain to to get rich on their own. Uh, all of this leading to uh, where God was about ready to come and wipe their slate clean. So it had been generations since, since you know, God's presence and the, you know, God led them physically, uh, you know, as a presence, a, a pillar of fire uh, and, and by night and uh, clouds by day, leading them through the desert, providing them nourishment in the desert. All these things in Israel's history where God's hand was clearly at work in their lives, leading them out of Egypt, uh, bringing them into the promised land, causing their enemies to to quake in front of them and giving them miraculous victories like in Jericho when the walls fell down just by shouting and marching around the city. All these things that, that the people of Israel had seen God do for them were forgotten. Uh, and the men and leadership of that day went on their own way and, and sought their own sought their own gain from the power that they were given. God gave the line of Judah, the, the kings of, of Israel were from the line of Judah and made that promise. So these the, the leaders were were established by God. Uh, but use their power for, for their own gain. And all of this list uh, are things that the leadership was guilty of. So as he speaks to them here, uh, he's, he's reached out to them. You know, we look at, at the prophets that have, have come to bring correction to the leaders, the leadership, and those prophets were punished and stoned and, and by, by the by the government of Israel. So even though they're 
they did these things in disobedience. God kept trying and kept trying, reaching out, warning them, providing them. When he provided the law and the punishments for the law, he also provided this way back. So the Lord is going to pursue his people, even though they're disinterested in him. Even, even in their disobedience, God still pursued them. He did not abandon Israel as his people. Uh, he continually sought after them and brought himself to them. You know, he, he had to do some time. He sometimes had to do some pretty spectacular things to get their attention, as is going to happen in just a couple of chapters from now in our study. He's going to get their attention and all of these things that he was doing, the, the things that, that he did in Egypt uh, to bring e the leaders of Egypt to the decision to let his people go were done so that the, it, they would know that it was God that did that. Uh, that was the one lesson there. And, and here, too, these things that are going to happen to them or so that they would know that it was God that's doing this. It's God's hand at work here. And we understand and need to understand, you know, that even, uh, even when God is applying uh, intense heat to melt their hearts, uh, and it's through this process that their, their hard hearts are softened, uh, and, and become melted and, and ready to receive God's correction. Continuing on in, in our passage, uh, you know, the Lord promises, uh, he promises the leadership of this land that have seen their, their you know, found ways to, to profit and benefit from dishonesty and, and lawlessness. Uh, that all of these gains would be stripped away. Uh, in verse 13, Behold then, I smite my hand at your dishonest gain. Uh, he is going to strike against those manifestations of the gains that they've gotten, the, the wealth that they've achieved. What's going to happen to Jerusalem? We know because we're on this side of it. it it's not too far from now that that, that siege is going to begin. And all of the wealth that they've accumulated, all of the gold is going to come to nothing. Uh, the Babylonians are going to come and destroy the city, wipe the city, completely destroy the city. And those that survive the siege and the, and the capture of Jerusalem uh, will leave empty-handed as exiles and be scattered around the world, scattered among the nations. Uh, so everything that they've accumulated will be destroyed. The, the temple will be gone. The city will be gone. Uh, the, the financial institutions and the, and the property that they had, it's all going to be taken away from them because of God's hand smiting these dishonest gains. And the question is asked here, can your heart endure or can your hands be strong in the days that I will deal with you? I, the Lord, have spoken and will act. You know, the Lord uh, 
the Lord is going to act here. And, and the message that we need to take from this, this portion, is that we need to remember that when we are in a period of, of disobedience in our own lives, you know, we can't get away from God. We can't beat God. Some, you know, God is patient with us and long-suffering. And, but he may give us enough rope to hang ourselves, if you will, uh, as he did Israel. You know, in this example of Israel, he let them over to their lusts and their desires. And even in, in Romans, it says the same thing. But eventually, the Lord is going to bring us under the rod. And when that time comes, can your heart endure? Can you stand up? Do you think you'll be strong enough to stand before God in that day of, of punishment? You know, foolish people think that they can, they either won't be held to account or that they can stand up before God. That, that you know, that same foolishness that caused them to disobey in the beginning and to rebel against God is going to uh, maintain them in the end. Um, and people are deceived into thinking there's no consequences. And we see this in our own world as we look around at what's happening to the world there. It's easy for us as Christians to look at what's happening in the world and say there's no consequences for sin because we don't see it happening. But God is setting the stage. He is... He is going to impose uh, conse consequences on nations and on peoples, on leaders and on people uh, for the things that they do. You know, it's impossible to stand against God when he brings his punishment. You won't be able to do it. So the Lord, once again here, uh, promises in verse 15 to scatter you among the nations and I will disperse you through the lands. I will consume your uncleanness from you. So again, we see that this has happened or this is going to happen. We know that, that this is being done to, to take away all the things that they've made important to themselves uh, and to, to let them you know, take away everything that they've built among themselves that, that builds them up and to realize that, that God is God. And it's only the things of God that are important, the obedience to that law, the, the, the uh, respect for his authority. Uh, they will be stripped of everything that they have in this world until the only thing that they have left is God. And they will recognize that. You know, this process of stripping away the sin and depravity and hard-heartedness of the people, of, of the leaders, uh, is, is compared in this passage uh, to the, the smelting of metal. In verse 17, why is that not working? There we go. In verse 17, and the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, the house of Israel has become dross to me. All of them are bronze and tin and iron and lead in the furnace. They are the dross of silver. Now, I've had the privilege of working in several different industries during my lifetime. One of them was glass. 
and and I worked around furnaces and and huge furnaces that that melt glass, uh, and also I've I've been in in foundries uh, and seen the processes that they take, and and when when materials are, are melted and, and refined, when they take the ore uh, and put it in a furnace, a uh, very hot furnace, uh, the, the, the metals are, are heavier than the, than the impurities in the ore. So that metal floats to the bottom or, or settles on the bottom and, and all the impurities and stuff float to the top. And I've got a picture here that I'll show you you know all of all of these impurities in in the metal come to the top and the hotter it gets the the more intense the heat the the more the stuff floats and in order to 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 get the good metal out you need to remove the dross and and they do this by by dragging uh, a I'm going to say a rake or a tool across to pull this dross off even when when you're refining in a small scale like you would with with gold or silver or precious metals you know you're not in a very big crucible uh, but a small cup and and even then as you heat the the metals the dross floats to the top and this is the picture that God paints of the leadership of Israel you have become like dross that thing that that makes the the metal impure that needs to be refined out you need to be brought through fire to get rid of this, this, these impurities and the stuff that is keeping you from being all that you should be. You are to be gold, uh, and and these impurities need to be removed, and they're removed through fire. There's a passage in the Bible that talks about refining gold seven times. That that through the process of reheating and and remelting. Uh, if you do this seven times over, and this actually is is kind of a practice still today that they heat it and cool it and heat it and cool it to get all the impurities out of gold. And once all that gold is removed, or the, the dross is removed, all those impurities, uh, the gold becomes pure and and is is valued for what it is. You know, there's a lot of of, of things that that can be said uh, up about this process and refining process, and it's used repeatedly throughout Scripture. Uh, but one of the commentators in, in talking about this passage uh, had this to say, and I thought it was good, that if you are gold going into the furnace, you'll be gold coming out of the furnace as well. It's not the gold that's cast away. It's the dross and the impurities so if God is taking you through this refining process, what is gold is still gold uh, and is going to be made pure by the process, uh, by all of, all of these things. Uh, getting back to our passage again, the removal uh, of the dross, it, it takes place in two stages, the heating and separation uh, and the stripping of Israel's impurities involve both steps. First in verse 19, the Lord said they will be put in the middle of the city of Jerusalem. And he's, he's talking about Jerusalem here like it's a pot, like it's this crucible. Uh, 
you know, and historically, uh, <clears throat> the people were were contained in a city during a siege. There was no way to get out, so they were were contained in this pot uh, that was kind of a picture of the city. And second, uh, the Lord has gathered previous battles into into the city, referring to all the people themselves. You know, the, this again. You don't melt, melt ore that doesn't have the metal that you're looking for in it. You wouldn't do that. So all of the the good and the bad are, are melted in this crucible or heated in this crucible to remove the impurities. Uh, so the Lord uh, needs to, to take the city through this process in order to remove the people from their sins uh, so that the precious things of Israel could come forth and continue. You know, as, as silver is melted, in, it says in verse 22, as, as silver is melted in the furnace, so you will be melted in the midst of it, and you will know that I, the Lord, have poured my wrath on you. So the Lord, in, in verse 21, it uses the phrase that he would blow heat now again, in working in in the industries that I've been in, one of the things that we used to do uh, when we needed to heat up a particular area of a furnace or something because of whatever's going on, we wouldn't introduce fuel into that space because the, the furnace and the materials were already hot. We would introduce air, compressed air through a tube and provide more air and oxygen to just increase the the heat in a, in a localized area, I was found that a little interesting that that it worked that way, but it did, uh, and you could see this that just the introduction of air, the blowing of air, uh, causes things, cause this this area to get hotter. It's it's like the billows of a blacksmith as he blows more air onto the coals onto the fire, it gets hotter and hotter and heats the metal up more and more. Uh, same thing here. The Lord is going to blow on the city in order to bring more heat to bear, uh, in order to do the purification process that he needs to do. So the softening uh, that was accomplished by, by the people going through this fire, being blown on by God, uh, was severe indeed, but it did cause the softening of their hearts. And once their hearts are softened, uh, the Lord could scrape away those impurities. Uh, he moved them away from, you know, the dross is removed from the crucible and removed from the furnace. And it's taken away and, and not reintroduced again. So God is going to remove the evil lead leaders those, that leadership that was encouraging the people to act in a way uh, doing wrong things. So, uh, you know, as, as the nation is taken into this area of desperation, this, this severe trial that they're going through, they're eventually going to, to seek relief and turn to God for, in, in a re, with a repentant hearts. And what's left then after this cleansing process is something pure, something holy, and something obedient to God.
So that's what the Bible means uh, when it says the kindness of God leads a person to repentance. Uh, it means that the Lord allows us to experience the desperation created by our own disobedience uh, and our rebellion, and it produces a desire for relief for where that leads us, for the effects of that sin. We seek relief for that, and we turn to God. Uh, where before God's holiness and, and law seem like uh, something to fight or resist that it's constraining, uh, once you see where disobedience leads, uh, you realize that, that obedience to those things is really a freedom. Uh, I used to tell my kids, you know, you have absolute freedom to do the right thing. And, and freedom and living within God's plan for your life is that way. It releases that burden uh, from you. Uh, in Luke verse chapter 15, verses 17 through 19, and talking about the prodigal son when he was living in that foreign land, he was broke, he was hungry. He looked at the food that he was feeding to the hogs, and, and he said, you know, my father treats his servants better than, than this. Uh, Luke 15, verses 17 through 19 says this. When he came to his senses, speaking of the prodigal son, he said, how many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread, but I am dying here with hunger. I will get up and go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and in your sight I am no longer to be worthy to be called your son, make me as one of your hired men. So in the prodigal son's cases, poverty and loneliness was the heat that was being provided. Uh, and the desperate circumstances that he found himself in caused him to, to lose the pride that he had and his arrogance and defiance and disobedience. And it brought him to that point where he was ready to return uh, a new man with new respect for for the the rules and laws and guidance of his father, uh, you know where before his father's authority and provision was something to fight against, to be resisted and rejected. Now he sees uh, that that his father's authority is a comfort and should be respected, and, and that that's the same way that God brings repentance. Uh, to a heart. Getting back to our chapter again. At the end of the chapter, starting here in verse 23, the Lord uh, brings and directs the, the, the blame, you know, the, the Lord is, is directed to blame squarely at the leadership. Uh, and and you know, the punishment for the, for the sins of Israel happened a long time before they went into captivity even. It started as a drought. Uh, they were fighting, you know, having trouble getting enough grain to feed their feed before they went into Egypt. You know, and, and it was through this hardship that they ended up going to e Egypt. Uh, and I'm getting short of time. You know, but the Bible... You know, there's 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 four groups of of leaders uh, in, in, here in in this passage. Uh, 
um, or four groups of people, and each played its own part in the downfall of Israel. There were prophets, priests, kings, and finally the, the people themselves. And in our, in our passage, it talks about these people. You know, Israel was speaking about the false about false prophets here, uh, and these these prophets formed a conspiracy among themselves. You know, one would say something false, and would get confirmation from another to give it credence and 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 believability. Uh, we see the same thing happening with false teachers in our time. Somebody will say something that's not biblical or or has an element that's not biblical and then another teacher will will say the same thing and support what he says and all of a sudden it's accepted as truth when it's really false teaching uh you know we we see this uh in, in a prosperity gospel that's preached everywhere uh false healers uh you know in in churches in the mega churches, when somebody sees something that works, and by works I say brings in more money, other churches copy it. So if if having a big band with drums and, and worship leaders that are very charismatic, if that brings in people and brings in dollars, by gosh, that works over there, we're going to do it too. Uh, that shouldn't be the, the status, the that shouldn't be the measure of success in a church. You know, God said he would, Jesus said, I will build my church. Uh, it's not up to us. Uh, it's, it's up to him. So the testimony of false prophets uh, produced bad results. And many in Israel followed the false prophets and saw families and relationships broken. Uh, following that is... is uh, priests, and these were people who were in the Levitical line who were called on to, to give an accurate representation of the law of God, but the Lord had given them power and authority, and they used that power and authority for their own gain and lost sight of the role that they were supposed to, to play. Uh, you know, they provided over profane practices in the temple. Back in, in earlier chapters of Ezekiel, we saw that played out you know uh, we need we need to be sure of what we're saying so that we don't mislead people when we're talking about God and what God means and, and what his law is talked about the princes of the people the kings uh, who were like wolves tearing at prey because they had been in, they had been encouraging bloodshed and diso- and and destroying lives in order to personally gain when someone holds power they'll always face temptation we've all heard the phrase uh, absolute power corrupts or power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely uh, so these things are things that as leaders uh, in in government and stuff we need to, to be careful of that we're not doing things for our own gain but for the the good of the people and all and finally, it's the people themselves. Uh, this this fourth group, or, or the people themselves, the Lord says in verses 29 and 30, 
that the fruit of these corrupt leaders is a people without mercy or love. They would treat people around them poorly. Uh, they're not willing. Uh, you know, a group of people who have taken their eye off the Lord. Uh, when not walking with the Lord, we will become untrustworthy, uh, unloving, unkind, unfaithful uh, to the people around us too. Uh, and... Oh, I didn't think I'd be this late, but I'm going to, to close, I guess. It, and in here in verse 30, it says, I searched for a man among them who would build up a wall. And remember, we talked about a wall uh, in a previous chapter about, you know, the leaders built up this false wall with a, not with good mortar that wouldn't stand up. Uh, but God here is searching for a man among them who would build up the wall and stand in the gap before me for the land so that I would not destroy it. But I found no one. And again, you know, there, there's more here than leads, but we need to make sure that we are living our lives in a manner that when God is looking for that man among us to stand in the gap and be an honest witness to the world around us, that we're ready to take on that responsibility. You know, the Lord's point is here is that the nation strayed so far that there's no way to, to cleanly bring it back. There were prophets, Daniel, uh, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel were prophets, but they weren't in a position where they could have the influence that they needed to have. Uh, so it had gotten so far that, that no effort of man could, could bring it back. Uh, only what God had determined uh, would bring them through this refining fire uh, to clear away all of, all of the dross so that the value uh, that God had set there uh, could shine forth. Uh, let's close with prayer. Father, we thank you for this word and for the lessons, the many lessons that come from this chapter. And we just ask that you help us to be the people that you would have us to be Help us to, to not reject the authority that you've put in a, for us, uh, but to live our lives in obedience to, to uh, the, the, those authorities that you have in our lives, that, that we would look to your word and, and never lose sight of your law, uh, of your blessings for us if we are but obedient. We watch over us and keep us all safe. Help us to... Enjoy the time of fellowship that, that, that being in the house with believers brings. In Christ's name I pray, amen.